This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Empire. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Building around a coach and facility, we're actually building a platform by which coaches and facilities and players, brands can leverage and grow their their digital footprint in a very niche and very focused uh, market demographic. That's Jeremy Harrell, who is building a high-tech vertical to teach baseball's players of tomorrow. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Jeremy Harrell has a unique background in the sport to OTT vertical stick and ball TV, which will be bringing together experts and the latest tech to give access to modern training to baseball players globally. And if you then have higher aspirations and you want to become an MVP, author Ben Lindbergh is learning what the modern path to that looks like. But first, the future is now in Omaha. Recently, Vanderbilt defeated Michigan in the College World Series, which was highlighted by the story of the rise of the methodology of the Wolverines. Hard work, some overlooked communities that could produce some great baseball players. It was a great story, and they didn't win. Vandy did. And if you look under their hood, you're going to see a more modern approach. Pat Borzi from the New York Times joins us now. What did you learn about their program? Um, Well, the the Vanderbilt program is one of four that has uh, what they call a pitching lab. And uh, what, what that means is that they have a dedicated area on their campus that has all the modern technology that uh, helps pitchers improve. Um, it's under their, uh, it's in the basement of their football stadium. Uh, it's not the most well-appointed place, kind of dingy, kind of dark from what I understand and from what they were telling me. And um, it's a place where all their pitchers can go and learn how to get better. And that sounds really simplistic, but they have all the tools at their disposal that a major league team does, and that puts them ahead of a lot of people. Were they specific at all in how the tech actually helps them improve? Yeah, um, you know, because they have um, they have these the two kinds of things that they do. They're Rapsodo devices, which are the things that measure things like uh, uh, spin efficiency, spin rate, etc., and also uh, these Edgartronic high high speed, high re- revolution cameras that take thousands of frames per second and can slow down uh, a pitching motion so that you could see exactly how and when the ball leaves a pitcher's hand. Um, and with those kind of tools, they can kind of tailor a pitch uh, to be. Uh, they can help create a pitch for a pitcher that is a perfect complement to, say, a fastball 
or uh, or a different kind of breaking pitch so that they can give the batter, so the batter is looking at something that doesn't look too similar from their fastball, which, uh, um, I mean, that's what everybody tries to do. But now they have a much more more technical and precise way of, of crafting those pitches. The real big takeaway quote from your piece was, um, if you don't have these tools, you have no chance. Um, are, are you are you buying into that there's a lot of truth behind that? I, I don't think you have no chance, but I think that you're definitely a step ahead of everybody else. I mean, the, the, the quote was, and, and, and the quote was more that the, you're, you're being left behind if you don't have the stuff. Um, and I think it's it's interesting that the two finalists, both uh, in the College World Series, both um, uh, Vanderbilt and Michigan, uh, both use those devices. And uh, Michigan doesn't have a pitching lab yet, but their pitching coach, who is a who was briefly a minor league pitching coordinator for the Dodgers, knows how to use them. And it was especially interesting that Michigan got there because uh, Michigan's, of course, in the Big Ten. And the Big Ten hasn't put a team in the College World Series championship since 1966. <laughs> um, that's uh, that was quite a, that was quite an equalizer for them. Um, I think that certainly, and the two teams in the College World Series that don't have this stuff, Louisville is one of them, and they are absolutely looking at, at trying to get some of it because they see where this is going, and it's going to get to a point where if you want to get to Omaha, where the College World Series is, um, you're uh, you're going to need this stuff. It's interesting that Michigan's there. Um, we know what their football program is worth and, and the value behind it, their basketball program as well. College baseball, no matter where it is, it, it's not either one of those sports with these massive rights deals, huge ticket sales, anything like that. So how do you see schools weighing how much to actually invest in new tech for a sport that doesn't generate the type of revenue that these other major sports do? And that's an excellent question. Michigan is able to do it because their athletic department generates a ton of revenue, and that gets spread around. Um, the, they were able to uh, to buy these devices because it was included in their budget. Um, Vanderbilt did not. Vanderbilt had to fundraise. They've got a, a, a booster program called Champion Circle that is a major fundraising component for the program, and, and the Champion Circle raised the money uh, so that they can buy this stuff. I think that, that different schools are going to have to figure out a way, like, like they all do. I mean, I mean, baseball, to be charitable, baseball is a non-revenue sport everywhere, and that's one reason why a lot of schools have dropped baseball. It's, it's an expensive sport to play, especially if – you're in the northern climate, and you've got to travel to Florida and California in February and March to get games. Um, and you're going to have to have a really, really strong fundraising apparatus or a fundraising group to uh, – well, you already have to have one of those to help you survive to begin with. And you're going to have an even, an even more generous group to get some of these devices because the, the Rapsodo – uh, typical Rapsodo is about four or five thousand dollars, and the Edgartronics are the high end. They're like sixteen thousand. The high end cameras you can get uh, cheaper ones around seven thousand, eight thousand, and you'll pay those off over several years, of course. Uh, but you're really going to have to you're going to have to hit the fundraising hard. So if you've got if you've got coaches that are willing to do that, you've got a chance. Clearly, they work though. Pat Borzi from the New York Times. Thank you, Pat. Thank you very much. 
Coming up, Jeremy Harrell, founder of Stick and Ball TV on modern training for tomorrow's baseball players. This is the Future Sport Podcast. Here's a new one. D1 baseball player goes into law enforcement, then transitions to managing a $100 million international distribution channel, and is now running a lifestyle and training content platform called Stick and Ball TV. Jeremy Harrell joins us now. Did I miss anything, Jeremy? Bram, it's been a crazy ride, man, but uh, we're here. Couldn't be more excited about what's happening with Stick and Ball TV, and thank you so much for having me on. Um, What is Stick and Ball TV? Stick and Ball TV is a baseball lifestyle and training network, essentially an OTT, over-the-top streaming platform like a Netflix, but we're laser-focused on baseball, A to Z, everything from the coaching aspect, playing, lifestyle, players, prospects, you name it. We want to bring baseball to one destination for the fan, for the coach, for the players out there. Eliminate the noise of having to go to YouTube or other places to find some content. So we're we're a platform centric uh, company where we're instead of building around a coach and facility, we're actually building a platform by which coaches and facilities and players brands can leverage and grow their their digital footprint in a very niche and very focused. Uh, market demographic so i remember watching tv when when people did that a long time ago and there were always commercials during the programs that i watched saturday morning sunday mornings for baseball training videos so this isn't and i can't remember the name of the famous guy who used to do them but this isn't really a new idea so so how are you differentiating it exactly there there's so much training content out there and mlb network is doing a, a great job with what they're they're doing their diamond demos, and it's, it's awesome. So, but with us, the big, the big challenge with, with the pro coaches, MLB coaches, the, the NCAA, you know, the college guys especially, they are paid to coach. They're, that's their full-time job. They don't have time to invest in and, and build, build out their own brand, so to speak, or, or have their voice be heard. We're trying to facilitate that with them, and the response has been overwhelming. It may not be different, but the group of coaches and our team is very special. We focus a lot here on uh, technology, so I'm curious how technology has changed training and executing in baseball in your view. Wow. It's, it's nowhere remotely close to where it was even five years ago. So technology is a huge part of the game today. It's going to continue to grow. I've been fortunate to be working with and talking to some technology companies that are firmly in the game and just hearing what they're doing and how they're growing is really exciting because what it allows the the player coach to do is to really isolate and figure out what works best for player A, B, C, and D instead of having just a a holistic approach to, you know, here's your keyword for the day. I know my practice plan, me, the individual player, 
I know what I need to work on. So technology, the video, the the stat cast, the, you know, all the the flight scopes, the trackmans, the rapsodos. It's just incredible the amount of data now, you know, coaches and players can use to, to improve. Jeremy Harrell runs Stick and Ball TV. You can check that out. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Thank you, Bram. Up next, author Ben Lindbergh chronicling how today's MVPs are built. This is the Future Sport Podcast. What are teams doing with all this tech and all the data collected? In baseball, where stats have always dominated, they're trying to modernize the information to build more efficient teams and eventually stars. Ben Lindbergh co-authored The MVP Machine, how baseball's new nonconformists are using data to build better players. Hey, Ben. Hi, thanks for having me. The big picture with all the new data is what? Well, for the past 15 years or so in the Moneyball era, teams have been mining that information to try to find undervalued talent. So to go get players who are already good, but for whatever reason are just not valued properly by the market. And now that's harder and harder to do because teams have learned from Moneyball and from the teams that followed in the wake of those Oakland A's. And nowadays it's very difficult to find anyone that is sort of a secret. You know, the the advantages that, say, the Moneyball A's had with on-base percentage and players who walk, that's not a mystery to anyone anymore. So now... The big advantage in baseball is not finding talent, but creating or enhancing talent. How do we make players better? That's a question that Moneyball didn't really reckon with, but increasingly, that's what's separating teams apart today. So you mentioned Billy Bean's Oakland A's. Um, What teams now, in your opinion, are ahead of the curve? Well, I think our book is a little different in that it's not so much a team-centric movement. This is something that started really outside of the game. It's driven by players. It's driven by coaches. But now that it is making its way into Major League Baseball, I think the the Oakland A's equivalent of our book is the Houston Astros, who've really been at the forefront of this player development revolution. Obviously, they won a World Series in 2017, and, and they've done a lot of innovative things. But I think the most innovative thing they've done is recognize that they needed to pivot to player development and to really go all in in that area, whether it's investing in technology, you know, in many cases before any teams had acquired certain people pieces of tech. The Astros had stockpiled many of them. And just in turning over their entire coaching staff, finding people who were on board with this new way of developing players. And obviously, they've had a lot of success at the major league level, but you look deeper than that, and the minors are just stuffed with talent. You know, their pitchers lead the minor leagues at every level in strikeout rate. Their hitters are getting the ball in the air and pulling it. They're bringing up prospects now, it seems, from week to week who are really polished players. So, I think even though they are years removed from when they were, you know, tanking and losing a bunch of games to get high draft picks, now they've developed this self-sustaining model because they have invested in development. And a lot of teams are trying to poach personnel from the Astros in hopes of catching up. You know, it's interesting. We've talked to a lot of different groups, teams, also startup technologies, and the CEOs are saying, well, we have all this and we're arming these teams with all this new information. And then it always goes back to, do the teams and the players themselves, 
is it translatable to them? Do they understand right. what they now know? So uh, obviously the Astros are ahead of that curve in implementing whatever the information is that they're getting. Have you found that that is still hard for players to grasp or teams to grasp as they get this mountain of new data about themselves? Right. That has been the big challenge because I think people in front offices were aware of some of this stuff for a while, but it doesn't do you much good to know that player X could be better if he changed his swing or he adopted a new pitch or he threw a certain pitch more if you can't communicate that to the player and persuade the player. So that has really been the big challenge. And I think teams are doing a better job of it now, in part because players themselves have a hunger for this information. You know, A, there's a new generation of players who've grown up in the Moneyball era, and they're more receptive to stats than the earlier generation of players was. B, there have been a bunch of examples of guys who've really changed the trajectory of their careers and elevated themselves to a much higher level of performance and also landed much larger contracts. And I think when players see that, they think, well, how can I do that? I better keep up. I want that kind of contract. And word of mouth kind of passes from player to player, even more than from team to player. But in the latter area, I think one of the big innovations has been the advent of what we call in the book this conduit role, sort of a, a go-between, a communicator who spans both of these worlds. And often it's a recently retired former player who kind of has that authenticity and authority, and he wore the uniform and he played the game, and so he's accepted and embraced in the dugout and in the clubhouse, and yet he's also analytically inclined, and he has an interest in the numbers, and he has sort of a front office sort of skill set. And so he's fluent in this front office language, but he can also be fluent in the field-level language, and that's been a, a big, I think, facilitator for this movement is employing players who are kind of hybrids of, you know, the, the outsiders who never played the game and the guys who did play the game, and they're bringing both of those areas together. And this has been going on 10, 15 years. Obviously, all the technologies are, are constantly changing, but the young stars of the league grew up probably being trained a little differently than their predecessors. So I wonder if you've seen how much of this is filtering down to youth leagues in the way that they prepare athletes. Right. Well, it's very big in amateur ball, you know, in college and high school. There are more than 50 Division One schools now that have these TrackMan systems that measure pitched and batted balls that are in every minor league park and major league park. That's now filtering down where all these D1 schools have it, some D2 schools have it, some high schools even have it. And I think we're seeing it to some extent even below that. Certainly performance at lower levels is being quantified and maybe coaches are doing different things when it comes to in-game tactics. I think some of these very advanced developmental techniques that we're talking about you know, maybe have more of a, an impact or are more appropriate for established players and that you have to have some baseline of being able to play baseball before you can really adjust things into the highest range of possibilities. But also, I think some of these philosophies are filtering down in a way that will be very beneficial because one of the big obstacles to this movement for years was that bad habits would get ingrained in kids in Little League, you know, coaches who had outmoded ideas about how you should swing and how you should pitch. And I think just doing away with those bad ideas that were ingrained in kids that became very difficult to overcome, I think that would go a long way. And so we are seeing 
a great youth movement in Major League Baseball today where much of the production is concentrated in these young guys who are coming up sort of steeped in these concepts, and I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, I'll let you go with this. Is, is there something out there, whether it's a wearable or some kind of tracking system that is out there that hasn't quite hit mainstream for baseball yet, but you could see altering the way the training methods occur due to it in the near future. Yeah, you know, there are so many devices that are just coming faster and faster, but I think one that I tested and wrote about in the book, it's called a K-Vest, and it's more of a hitter-centric tool at this point. And that's really been one of the interesting things about this movement is that hitting his leg behind, you know, it's sort of a, a reactive activity, whereas the pitcher has the ball in his hand and can decide what to do. And so I think pitching and defense have benefited from the first wave of this movement, but now hitting is catching up. And this device called a K-Vest that I write about, it's a system of four sensors. So you attach one to your hand and your arm and your chest and your pelvis, and it tracks the motion of each of those body parts as you swing so that you're not only getting some data on the swing itself, you know, there are sensors you can attach to your bat and see how your bat is moving, but you can now quantify the movement of your body that is producing that swing. And you can see, okay, this part of my swing, it's not firing in sequence, or I'm a little slow here, I'm not strong enough there. And it allows you to diagnose these flaws that in the past would have been very difficult to pick up on. And once you can realize them, once you can diagnose them, then you can adjust them. And so I think we're kind of in the early stages of a, a hitting revolution here that may enable hitters to catch up a bit with pitchers. Ben Ludberg is the co-author of The MVP Machine. Thank you so much, Ben. My pleasure. That will do it for us this week. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.